Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we look at the inexcusable repercussions of the Brittany Higgins text leaks and Katie Gallagher's remarks on her knowledge. We unpack some illuminating research out of the US on male allyship. And I have a chat with the excellent Effie Zahos, editor-at-large at CanStar, about the latest finance quiz that might make all the difference. We're recording this episode of The Crux on the 15th of June, 2023. My name is Tala Lambert and I am the editor of Women's Agenda. And this week I'm joined by Mariam Muhammad, facilitator, speaker and co-founder of Money Girl. Mariam, it's great to have you here. Hello, hello, Tala. Thank you for having me. I know, it's so nice to have you on this podcast. It's been way too long. Before we jump ahead into everything heavy, (laughs) I want to begin with something a little lighter. Mariam, what's your win for women this week? Yay! Okay, so I had a good (laughs) think about it. And my win for women this week is Div Belay bringing the Not Me app to Australian women to anonymously report racism and discrimination we experience in our workplaces. Because the most recent report by Diversity Council Australia found that 82% of women of color in workplaces were feeling unsafe due to discrimination, bullying, verbal, physical, or sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. However, about 70% of of those women of color never report those incidents. So I'm very excited to see what an anonymous reporting app brings to the table to the conversation because one of the hurdles for us talking about discrimination for women of color in the workplace is the lack of data around it. Mm. So I'm pumped to see, even if it doesn't work, I'm still pumped to see what it ends up in. No, I completely agree. I think this is a great initiative and Div is really leading the charge on so many issues of greater visibility and greater transparency and making sure that representation matters in this country. And I, you know, once again, this is just another example of that. I think as a woman of colour myself, and you probably feel the same, although I don't want to speak for you at all, but, you know, I'd love to hear your opinion on this as well. But I do think it is just such an under examined issue at the moment and we know that there is as you said just the complexities that exist for people of color in coming forward and reporting anything like this they're so much more extreme than anyone could imagine and I think that this just gives us a little bit more context into what's going on and potentially well hopefully enough information for organizations to get really serious about how they action this and I would also encourage a lot of organizations and potentially policymakers to get behind initiatives like this I think you know it's one thing for brilliant women like Div to spearhead these kind of initiatives but we really do need greater resourcing greater funding into making this more widespread That's right. And look, in time, we saw this year, the government move towards organizations, bigger organizations having a mandatory reporting on gender pay gap. In time, it will eventually move towards governments and, well, stakeholders in general, asking for more intersectional data around it. So if organizations jump on this now, they can be the leaders Mm. in time for that kind of data, that kind of reporting. Yeah, exactly right. So don't sit on your hands, be a trailblazer. We all need more of that. Okay, so my win this week, Mariam, is 
quite different, but I did like it as a story. And we reported on this new trend that is happening in Hollywood, which is seeing stars speak up about aging and really just call bullshit on some of the statements that we so often hear, like, you look good for your age, which Jennifer Mm -hmm. Aniston actually brought up in an interview with British Vogue last week. And the 54-year-old said that that kind of statement just drives her bananas, uh, was the exact term that she used. Fair enough, Jen. That's a neg. Right? Especially because she is just so beautiful and amazing. Like that kind of language, it circulates so, you know, pervasively and particularly in Hollywood where the standards are just ridiculous. But why are we talking about women like this? Why are we judging women's looks like this? It's just, (laughs) there's just no excuse for it anymore. And I love that, you know, people like Jennifer Aniston are just calling it out, but we also talked about uh, Andy McDowell and Jennifer Coolidge who have also been vocal about how over it they are. Thanks, Jennifer Coolidge, leading the way for the rest of us as always. Oh, my God, I love her so much. (laughs) Me too. She's so underrated. The fangirling is just real for Jennifer Coolidge. I think she's amazing. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, look, I, I just I like this as a story. Obviously, it's annoying that it's women, again, that are having to call out the bullshit in Hollywood. You would like to think that we are at a time and stage where, you know, it would be a broader conversation um, and that they wouldn't necessarily have to be doing this. But nonetheless, it is nice to see. So that is my win this week. I love that because, look, first of all, that is not a compliment. Whether it is based on age or whatever, like that is just not a compliment. (laughs) Like if somebody says that to you, IRL, like just run away from them. You know, (laughs) people do this in dating all the time, Tyla. They're like the backhanded compliments, your negs, you know, oh, you look great for a brown girl, you know, oh, you're. (laughs) You look great for someone that age. Like, you look great, period. You'd almost prefer the straight up insult. Like, you look shit house. (laughs) I I almost prefer that. (laughs) I don't like brown girls, but you look all right. You know, yeah, that's right. That's the real context of what they're trying to say. I know I know it is it is ridiculous and also like you know they've they've pointed out the double standard particularly in Hollywood around you know men aging and being seen as these silver foxes I know you know absolutely timeless George Clooney effect it's bullshit it's called the Jennifer Aniston effect henceforth Uh, yeah no but look good story Jennifer Coolidge Jennifer Aniston Annie McDowell we love you and we think you look unreal so next story on today and it is one that is really quite heavy as I, I mentioned earlier and it's something that's dominated headlines in recent days for all the wrong reasons I think And I'm talking about the Brittany Higgins text leaks and the flow-on consequences of what that egregious breach of privacy has done. Although I do suspect that most of our listeners are fully in the know about this one, I'll give some context to the story, uh, which basically goes like this. Uh, The man accused of raping Brittany Higgins, Bruce Lerman, broke his silence on Channel 7 last week, announcing the allegations were completely fabricated and he had done nothing wrong. In the days that followed Lemon's interview, text messages and private audio of uh, from Brittany Higgins's phone that she'd submitted to police in the investigation 
was leaked to media and what the media has then done with those leaks is just dumbfounding. The Australian newspaper published the private text messages between Higgins and her partner, David Shiraz, which appear to discuss alerting Labor MPs to details of Higgins' sexual assault allegations against Bruce Lehrman before they went public. Uh, specifically, the text suggests that Senator Katie Gallagher was told about Higgins's rape allegations before the story broke, which the opposition then claimed cast a doubt on Gallagher's previous statements on the extent of her knowledge. But, you know, for all the questions around Senator Katie Gallagher, there's such a bigger question at play here that remains not only unanswered but mostly unasked. Like, just how did the contents of Brittany Higgins's phone end up on the front pages of her national newspapers? And not only that, but in the days that have followed, they have absolutely hounded this story. They have hounded it. And you can only think what this is doing for Brittany Higgins's mental well-being, which we know was already precarious to begin with. And what does the leaking of these text messages do to the confidence of current and future victims of sexual assault in coming forward, which was an issue that Katie Gallagher raised during question time in Parliament this week, where she was also berated of her knowledge and she accused the opposition of using this issue as a political football Look, there's a lot there and I know we've got a lot to say on it. So what are your feelings? There is so much to unpack there, Tyler. So many threads to pull in that story. The main one of which for me is the treatment of survivors of sexual assault in the public eye and the lack of empathy that we are displaying for a very young woman Mm. continuously telling her that we do not believe her and questioning her truth constantly and punishing her very publicly for our lack of faith in her words. And sure, critiques might say, the court system determines who's innocent and who's guilty. And to that, my question is, then why don't you treat the perpetrator the same way? People sometimes say, innocent until proven guilty, that's an American thing. But you can believe that. Why does the same empathy not apply to the survivor? Mm. That's the most biggest red flag for me in this story. Oh, 100%. And will you look at the coverage of Bruce Lerman's interview? It was all about him being, you know, vindicated. His his ability to break his silence and, you know, finally speak his truth on this matter. And he's, you know, he's been living this absolutely tormented existence, which, you know, may be true, but that portraying of him as the victim in this story I have found so disgusting and confronting and and stressful as a woman. And I think that Katie Gallagher's points in Parliament were entirely true. What what does this tell other victims of sexual assault and violence? What does it tell them about how their story is going to be treated if they are brave enough to come forward and speak publicly? And again, I just think There's been so much conversation and scrutiny and questioning of this wording by Brittany Higgins when she came forward and was talking about the situation and the allegation and she 
said that she was really, you know, frustrated and infuriated with the media for portraying her partner as this puppeteer behind the scenes that was, you know, controlling her narrative. And she said, I have the absolute agency to weaponize my own story. And that wording from her has been used to, you know, really depict her as this conniving, vindictive human. And I just think that that is, again, a narrative that follows women, this trope of of women being untrustworthy, being vindictive, being manipulative. And I really hate that because... Of course she was going to weaponize that story. Yes. That was her truth and That's that was her question. power. Yeah. Yeah. Why shouldn't I weaponize? Excuse me. Here's my problem with that is I would use those words too because that's her story. What she does with it is her God-given right. And if anyone has a problem with that, they should think about that before inflicting harm on another human. This is the story of every woman who speaks up about any injustice. I've heard that so many times. I weaponize my race, my faith, my assault, you know? And why shouldn't I? Yeah. Well, y'all should think about that stuff before you do that. Once you've done it to me, it's my story and what I choose to do with it is my right. I might write a book about it. I might write a film about it. You don't like how you're portrayed in it. You should have thought of that before you did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, in having the courage to come forward, do we want victim survivors to just meekly, you know, sit in the corner and not have their power? Like that is her power to to be able to tell that story, to use it in whatever way she wants to. Obviously, Bruce Lerman has maintained his innocence and we can never know for sure because that trial never went forward as it as it should do. But I think, again, speaking to the broader point about what victim survivors do in the aftermath, you know, how they'll be treated, uh, what we can expect, and, and no one, no one seems to be asking the question about who is leaking this to the media. That's right. What is their MO in doing that? What extra thing are they trying to cover up by leaking that to media? You know, that's right. And that's terrifying to think that if I hand over my laptop or my phone as evidence to the cops because they demand it, then they may, well, somebody, somebody may leak my private information off of it. That should be protected under law enforcement. That's my privacy. That's terrifying to think of that a survivor came forward on a sexual assault case and then their private information was leaked and is now being used as a means to silence her. That That's terrifying. It is, yeah. Again, I just really feel for Brittany Higgins at the moment. I hope she's doing okay. I hope she knows that she does have a lot of supporters and people in her corner, um, despite what certain press is publishing at the moment. Uh, I don't believe that is the narrative of Australia and those are the beliefs of most Australians. I, I really feel that, you know, the majority of us don't want to see this kind of thing happen, like that we're not okay with it. We're not okay with seeing uh, the private contents of someone's phone 
leaked in this manner. And I really just hope that she knows that people are, are with her. That's right. And that we're grateful for the young women, mostly young women, who are leading the charge and showing Australia all the loopholes in the judicial system of how it fails survivors mm. of violence. Absolutely. All right, Mariam, we'll go on to our next story this week, which is a bit of a change of pace, but we're looking at some uh, research out of the US that shows when men believe they're being allies in the workplace, women often disagree. Uh, Shock, horror, you know. (laughs) Nobody could have guessed that. (laughs) Definitely not the women. Male allies or male bullshitters. It's really hard to tell. (laughs) Um, So one researcher, Meg A. Warren, um, she said, uh, and this is out of Washington, Western Washington University, says that men can sometimes label themselves as an ally when they're actually not doing very much to help tackle workplace sexism at all. Um, So Warren interviewed more than 100 female employees working in science, technology, engineering and maths, and she asked them to select a male colleague they worked with closely and identify whether that that man uh, was an ally or was acting like an ally. They were then asked to recount an occasion where the man they chose supported them or stood up for them at work. The men were then questioned and asked to rate themselves as allies without being told what their female colleagues had said. The men were also asked to describe an instance where they believed themselves to be supporting their female colleagues. Uh, Her findings showed that while most people declared themselves willing allies for underrepresented and marginalised people in their workplaces, these declarations did not necessarily transform into concrete actions. What is your experience on this front, Mariam? Haven't we all been there, Tyler? <laughs> Haven't we all been there? Loves we the know. label. Loves the mm-hmm. ally mm-hmm. label. Not the work. Not the work, though. <laughs> Just the label. I want to be a feminist man, but I want to scrape by doing the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't actually want someone to, you know, usurp my position. <laughs> That's right. At the same time, I don't want to upset my bros, though. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. So I will yeah. do really lip service stuff like say in private to the women how much of a feminist I am but then still be a bro with my bros (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. we all know those men we've been in those situations and so my take on this is I refuse to applaud men for doing the bare minimum anymore unless we're also doing that for the women (laughs) oh yeah that'd be fine already carrying the weight (laughs) for this. So I don't believe in applauding men who self-identify as feminists and then do the bare minimum for the women in their workplaces and in their lives. No, sir, I need to see more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, I think that's fair. I think that's pretty much sums this up. Look, it's not surprising research. Let's just put it that way. I think it's, I think it is at least encouraging maybe that men want to be perceived as allies now. I think maybe a few years ago we wouldn't necessarily have seen any kind of appetite, not necessarily, no, not necessarily appetite, but like, you know, I don't think that it would have factored very high on their radar of things that were important. Yeah. See, look, now this is a part of me that's a skeptic. I... I'm wary of men using these terms like allies or feminists 
just to get social capital to gain favor with women who they will then mistreat. So that's why I feel like it's a very common story and most of us have experienced it because as these movements have become more mainstream, men who behave in the same ways have put on like they pink wash themselves kind of like mm. corporates do, you know, and mm. then they've become allies and they've become feminists, but in their actions, they're still stuck in their old ways. And I suppose there is good in that and that, okay, maybe they do see some benefit to it. But I guess if I choose to come from love instead of skepticism, my <laughs> invitation to those men will be, your actions speak louder than words. So I don't need to hear that you're a feminist. I need to see mm. that you're a feminist. And that yeah, means yeah. having uncomfortable conversations with your bros and standing up for the women in your life when it's uncomfortable, even if it means your bros are going to be mad at you or you lose social credibility because of what you've just said. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point, to be fair. I, and I, and particularly in these kind of male-dominated industries, you know, and with this research, we're looking at uh, engineering, math, science, STEM industries we know are heavily dominated by men, as are, you know, so many other industries. It's harder for women to, you know, really be given the time and opportunities that they deserve within those in industries. Um, so to be an ally, you do need to be active. You cannot just, you know, sit there, say something and then not actually um, do anything to, to sponsor the women around you. Uh, so, yes, I think more action, less talk, more action. All right, so we are going to go to our interview for this week, which is with Effie Zarhos, editor at large of CanStar, Australia's biggest financial comparison website, and she's also a finance commentator, author of Ditch the Debt and Get Rich, and she's a Today Show money expert. Uh, I have to say I was a bit nervous speaking with Effie because she has just launched a new test through CanStar called Test My Money IQ, and uh, my money IQ is suboptimal to say <laughs> the least. <laughs> it's getting better, and Maria, I actually am embarrassed to say that in front of you as well, but um, yes, I think that Effie could see through my anxiety. So, oh, I, Tyler, girl, what are you doing? Come, let, let me help you. <laughs> I know, I know. Look, to be honest, I manage all our finances. I should preface this. I, I do manage all the finances. You know, we're so far not, you know, bankrupt, which is good. But <laughs> I do know that there are ways and strategies that I could be implementing or doing things better. I also think a lot of it comes down to being time poor a lot of the time, you know, like yeah. looking at, what you're paying in insurance or, you know, what you're paying uh, for your home loan or whatever it is, and then trying to go and sort that out. I think a lot of women really struggle with that. But in saying that, this this test is a good one. It, it's valuable to do because I think it does shed light on on kind of where you're at and, and what might be helping to to kind of get us through this stage in particular, which is, we know, very precarious for a lot of people right now, myself included. Um, so let's jump to that interview. Mm -hmm. 
So, Effie, there's no getting away from the fact that Australian women are still broadly on the back foot financially from contending with the gender pay and superannuation gaps as well as other systemic socio-cultural barriers. There's a lot of work to do before we get onto a level playing field with men. And one of the issues faced by many women is simply not feeling financially empowered or informed enough, which leads me to the simple test that you've recently launched through Canstar called the Test My Money IQ test. Can you share a bit about this and how you see it benefiting Australian women in particular? Yeah. Hey, Tala. Look, thank, thanks for having me on your show. Um, the results were not what I expected, I'll be honest with you. I expected the pass mark to be pretty low. I did expect that. I didn't expect the gap between men and women here. And I'll tell you why. And this could be a bit of, you know, there's some stereotype here for sure. And I don't mean to generalise, but I thought women would do a lot better at this money quiz. Because often a lot of the data points to the fact that women manage the household expenses, that they manage the bills. We're the ones that are really good at doing the bills, paying them on time. And again, this is like stereotypical here. And men typically, you know, are investors. It depends on what data you see and how it's sliced and so on. But that that's just generalizing. So this was a money quiz that came to me in the sense that I wanted to see how would we perform if the test was around everyday household bills. And there's definitely some wealth creating questions in there. But these are things that I would have thought we knew because we would have a mobile phone. We have an energy plan. Um, Some of us are taken by now pay later. I didn't expect everyone to understand it. Some of us have a mortgage. Again, I don't expect everyone to understand it, but those even younger jumping in may want to know. What happened here was that when they answered, we took this out to market, tested it first with over about a thousand Aussies. 46% of Aussies failed this test, 54 passed. The average score was 11 out of 21, but here's what really shook me is that 66% of men passed the test versus 42% of females. That's just not on. Like I said, I would have thought that the markings would have been at least on par, but not such a big gap here because these are everyday items that we should know how they operate. We buy financial products to reach goals. So if we don't know how they work, then in a cost of living crisis, we could either be paying more in, say, interest or in fees or not getting the most value out of it. So it just exasperates the problem as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. What else is the data telling us from the test? Um, Which generation seemed to know the most? Well, this I expected. The older you are, the wiser you are, apparently. (laughs) So I'm going to take credit for that. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, I guess it's because when you look at the overall uh, quiz results, the past, 58% of the silent generation passed, the boomers 72%, Gen X 60, millennials 47, and Gen Z 30. To be fair to the Gen Z cohort, again, it's a case of as you move through life, you kind of collect a whole lot of different financial products as you move through and get your goals. Gen Z may not have a home loan. So understanding the difference between redraw and offset, um, I get that. But it's a great nudge because if you are a Gen Z, to do this test, which I did get my daughter who's 22 to go through it, do the test and then think, oh, I don't know how that works. And then one day I will get a home loan. This is something to, to look at. So they're great little nudges in different areas. Having said that, 
I mean, I'll ask you, I don't, have you had a go at the quiz yourself? Or? <laughs> I had a preliminary go at the quiz this morning, but I think it is absolutely something that I need to come back to um, and I can see the absolute value in it. I think for me, and this is just a personal opinion, yeah. but I really get overwhelmed by numbers and by questions and quizzes like that. I was terrible at maths at school and I think you know, maybe that's one of the questions that I'd ask you is, you know, how can we get through something like this um, and empower ourselves financially, but push past those kind of feelings of anxiety and overwhelm that often, you know, affect a lot of us. It sounds like you were going through a HSE exam. I didn't mean to put you through a HSE exam. It was not my intention. And I'm going to challenge you on something. You actually don't have to be good at maths to be good with financial literacy. Um, Because a lot of the questions, Tyler, here were also just how do things work? You know, if a credit card offers you an interest-free period of 55 days, that generally means that you don't pay interest on any purchases until 55 days after you buy the item. So there's not a lot of maths there. It's more understanding. And without giving away all the questions, because I'd love people to do it the test themselves, that question that I just read was the one that was answered incorrectly the most. If people stuffed up, it was that question. Only 19% of people that took the quiz got that answer correct. So I've kind of given something away. But um, (laughs) I did not mean to put you under rest this morning. you did the test it's it's supposed to be fun that's what I was trying to get out I'll get back there look I absolutely think that it's an important thing to have um at the moment and particularly you know as cost of living pressures soar they're blowing out of the water right now um what are your top savings hacks that might surprise us um look that could sound really really boring because I mean we are in a a cost of living crisis and, and you know Passing this quiz doesn't mean it's going to solve it by no means, but it will go a long way to understanding, do you know the products? Are you making the most of it? For me, there's no magic kind of cure here. You either need to earn more or spend less. I'm starting to sound like the uh, RBA governor now. (laughs) Watch yourself. (laughs) Don't want that. Go back to your home. Go back to mum and dad. I definitely don't want my 22-year-old coming back home when she's always out the door. Um, So, look, you either earn more or spend less. For me, the golden rule is do you know where your money is going? And then on top of that, do you know your money behaviour? Because when it comes to money, it's more than just dollars and cents. It's that behavioural aspect as well. You know, why is it what you do with your money? Why is it that you spend or, or save or are you scared to jump in, fear of missing out, fear of jumping in? That money behavioural side is really important to, to understand because then you can put in triggers and fixes to help yourself. But mm. if I was going to give you some tangible tips, it's, it's as simple as this. Get the account where most of your money goes out of, where you're tapping or going or whatever you're doing. Where is that account? Do you pay by, you know, a credit card? Is it your everyday transaction account? Get that account. Print out the statement. I know that's so old-fashioned. Print it out and get two highlighters. One highlighter to show your everyday fixed expenses, so your car insurance. Maybe you've got home and contents insurance. Maybe it's buy now, pay later, those regular items. Highlight that in one colour. Highlight the other tap and goes, your discretionary spending in another colour. Then have a quick glance and see which colour is standing out more than the other. 
I hope it's not the tap and go because discretionary spending is the biggest budget killer. But looking at data now, because of this cost of living and our wages not keeping up, that's being pulled down quite a lot. Your everyday household bills. When's the last time you looked at your phone plan? That market changes so fast. What are you paying and how much can you save by swapping? And I've done some analysis and even CanStar's got a cost of living index on their website, which looks at what is the average amount people pay for all these bills versus going to the cheapest or best valued. And you can save within the first year about ten to $13,000. So it's that. And the other one is treat your saving slash investment as a subscription. I bet you never missed a Netflix subscription payment. It always comes out. What about your investing one? Treat investing like a subscription. Make sure you do that every payday. Those are some good tips. The highlighting one gives me anxiety. (laughs) Gee, I don't want to give you anxiety all the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I feel like it would uh, illuminate some some things for me, which I might not want to know, but, but I think that they are really sound tips. I did want to ask, so obviously women are already contending with a, an enormous mental load a lot of the time. Is there any way for us to navigate through this period and get the best bang for our buck through, you know, insurance, through other subscriptions, deals that we've got going on and and payments that we're making in a way that is more seamless? Yeah, and we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I I know myself, a mum of two, I've worked most of my life, actually. I haven't really taken a break. I mean, I enjoy what I do. So, you know, I, I can't complain. I'm lucky to have a job. And we put so much pressure on ourselves trying to juggle everything. So I think for, for women is to be a little bit kinder to ourselves I think that I could learn from that one, just be a little bit kinder with ourselves. And I I know in most cases, mums being a mum, we kind of want to protect our children and set them up financially. Don't forget your poor old self, because at the end of the day, you are going to be responsible for your own financial destination. Um, And I think it's important that you do do a good balance between if you do have children, supporting them versus supporting yourself as well, because we are still seeing situations right now where women are retiring in poverty. So it's important that we do do the things right. Do that budgeting thing I was saying. With the household bills, do this quiz. See where you're not quite sure. Do you know what NBN 50 means? Do, what are you paying for on your on your plan, your energy plan? When was the last time you looked at it? Did you know you can upload your bill? Even Canstar Blue has a place you can upload your bill. It compares what you're paying, your usage, and are there cheaper plans out there? There's the Energy Made Easy as well from the government site that has that. There are things that we can claw back some savings. But at the end of the day, I have to be honest here, saving goes some way, but there's a big difference between saving and investing. I mean, taking short showers is not going to solve your financial gap. You know, that's not going to do anything. So it's important that you do not fear investing. And if you want to get financially savvy, just read more. There's some great websites like even the moneysmart.gov.au, the government site. Just get more financially savvy. And it doesn't need to be a lot, but it goes back to that subscription tip. It just needs to be consistent. Save little, invest little, often. That is a great tagline to end on, um, Effie. And thank you so much for joining the podcast today. For everyone of our listeners today, go and check out that test that Effie's put together, Test My Money IQ on 
Canstar and see where you land with it. Um, but thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you so much to Effie for that again. And Mariam, I will definitely take you up on your, your, uh, your promise of uh, financial advice. <laughs> I Not will advice, pay you, just education. Thank I'll you pay you much. in donuts. Uh, <laughs> I accept co- coffee and donuts. That'll oh, do. Good, good, good. I can definitely do that for you. Um, so before we wrap this episode up, Mariam, what are your last thoughts or anything that you're thinking of heading into the next week? Okay, so I'm excited to watch the movie Polite Society. In the next week or two or three, whenever I can, (laughs) it's a movie about a South Asian family and the older sister is getting arranged married and the younger one believes that she is going to save, quote unquote, her sister Mm. from her impending marriage. And it is, it has a beautiful cast. Uh, I'm very excited because one of the lead characters is a Pakistani actress whom I love. She's done a lot of really amazing feminist Pakistani dramas and I've watched her growing up. So I'm so thrilled to see her in this on a big screen in Australia about a story that I've seen unfold in my own household growing up and being that little sister who was like, I'm going to save my sister, you know? <laughs> so I'm so thrilled that this movie even exists and I can't wait. Oh, so where's it streaming? Oh, you can buy it from Amazon Prime. Oh, very good. Very good. Okay. That is a very, that is a hot tip. And also I need some new watching because I just finished Succession, which oh, is girl, very sad how did for you me. even? I can't. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch Succession. What? I tried. It was no. so depressing, Tarla. I'm just like, I already exist in <laughs> capitalist hell, which I'm trying to escape. Now I'm watching television, which is oh. the worst of capitalism's hell. Oh, it is. <laughs> it but was it's just so, so depressing. Like every episode is like a train wreck. Like you cannot look away. I um I love I loved it. I really loved it. I'm Fair really enough. really sad it's over, but I do need something else to sink my teeth into, so I will get on that for sure. All right. Well, look, with that said, uh I think that we can call that a wrap for this week, and we'll be back next week with Ange in the hot seat. Thank you for listening. Thank you Mariam for joining me today and to everyone listening on this episode. Just a reminder that you can access all of our stories online at womensagenda.com.au or subscribe to our daily newsletter where you will get them in your inbox at around lunchtime every day. Uh, So thanks again. Thanks, Tarla, for having me. Always a pleasure. 